leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum, and he's a regular on the program, one of the first people I met at SBC in Vegas, James Trigger. James, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Garrett. Now, uh, I tasked James with uh, picking a couple of teams, a couple of surprise teams, and uh, one being a surprise in a positive manner and the other being kind of a disappointing surprise. And and James selected two pretty interesting teams. And the first one we're going to get to uh, is uh, kind of the pleasant surprise, and that is the Miami Heat. And uh, later in the episode, we'll, uh, we'll break down his disappointing pick, which is the Utah Jazz. But uh, James, speaking of the Miami Heat, they're uh, they're currently seventeen and six overall, and uh, they're uh, we're recording on a Tuesday night, so they're currently playing the Hawks, and I think they were up double digits in the first quarter last I checked, uh, so might be moving to eighteen and six. But uh, a team that has skyrocketed up the Eastern Conference rankings and are playing pretty good basketball. Yeah, they've uh, they certainly surprised me given uh, how well they've started off the year. Um, you know, you, you assumed that with them signing Butler, um, it was going to be a win-now situation. And uh, a lot of the young guys have stepped up. They've gotten a lot of good play from a lot of guys maybe you didn't necessarily expect. Um, good culture. Everything's going right for them right now. they got a lot of good momentum. Um, and that has them sitting third in the East. Yeah, Jimmy Butler uh, is the reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Week. The Heat went 3-1 and one over the course of the last week, including a couple of overtime victories, one uh, on the road at Toronto and then recently at home against Chicago. But over the course of that week, Butler averaging 27.5 points, 9 rebounds, and 8.5 assists. He has been everything that the Heat could have hoped for, and he's... Uh, pretty much been a uh, a top 10 player in the league and he's doing it not only getting to the free throw line but uh, making plays as a as a passer yeah he's actually been a lot better um, on paper than I thought um, going into it because I know he was shooting not great from three but just kind of looking at the numbers here he's having a really good defensive season um, and he's having a obviously like you had mentioned he's getting to the line basically at will um, this is the highest free throw rate of his career. If you look at his steal and block percentages, they're among the highest of his career. And I think part of that has to do with, at least on the defensive side of the ball, uh, just the way that the Heat play. A lot of energy, a lot of activity. You can play Bam at center and switch everything if you want. They have enough 
guys in the 6-6 to 6-8 range where they can switch everything, or they can play Olenek, Myers-Leonard, they can go two bigs, and they can contest shots at the rim as well. Uh, I think defensively they're very versatile, and that allows Jimmy to sort of play free safety on that end. And then offensively, um, now there's been some three-point luck that we've seen so far. We'll see how that regresses as the season goes along, but they have a lot of shooting. Um, and that has allowed Jimmy, as well as others in the team, to really get to the line at will. Um, and that's led to a lot of their success on offense. Yeah, I think Spolstra has done a, an absolutely tremendous job of balancing the lineups and making sure that each uh, each group has a couple of really good defenders. You know, the starting lineup has the likes of of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo out there that can kind of solidify the defense. But then they also have the likes of Myers Leonard and and Duncan Robinson that can that can provide that shooting. And then on the bench, you've got the likes of of Tyler Hero, who's been a really impressive rookie, and and Kelly Olynyk to provide shooting. And then you also can bring in Justice Winslow. So. Uh, the team is deep, and they've got enough guys that can be really good on one end of the floor, and they've been able to build a, a decent balance. Yeah, I think one thing that's really helped them on offense is, um, and obviously Bam played last year, but having him start at the five and his uh, his playmaking out of the high post as compared to Hassan Whiteside last year. Um, you know, on offense, everyone says don't play too bigs, but when you can just have Myers Leonard sort of spacing out the floor and then you can let Bam operate from the high post, finding cutters, uh, having guys get to the rim, get fouled, get to the line. Uh, you know, I think that's allowed them to be a lot more versatile on offense. You look year over year, uh, defensively, last year they were sitting at 7th in the league. Right now they're sitting at 7th as well. But the jump has been their improvement offensively. 2018 they were 26th in the league in offensive rating. Right now they're sitting at 12th. Um, higher team assist percentages across the board. One thing that's hurting them now, which uh, which could get better, allow them to be better on offense, is their turnovers. They're turning the ball over like crazy. Um, I expect that to get a little bit better. Um, and most importantly, their percentage of field goals that are made that were assisted um, has jumped, and they're sitting at top 10 in the league in that. So like we said, Bam operating out of the high post. Justice Winslow's a good passer. Jimmy Butler's obviously a good passer. And surrounding the team with better three-point shooters um, is allowing them to hit more shots. Now, they are bound for some three-point regression. Um, They're putting up about the same number of three-point attempts this year as they were last year. Uh, But right now, they're second in the league in three-point percentage, whereas last year uh, they were 21st. And some guys that are maybe due for some regression, but have been awesome so far this year. You know, you got Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. Um, Kendrick Nunn hasn't shot it great from three, but he's putting up a lot of attempts. And then in the spot minutes that Dragic and Olenek get, uh, they've been really efficient in their three-point shooting as well. All those guys I just mentioned, putting up over four three-point attempts a game. And outside of uh, Kendrick Nunn, all those guys are shooting just around 40%. So they're due for some regression there, but... The fact that those guys are getting the attempts up um, is a good sign for their offense. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the their uh, their potential luck with with three pointers, and and I'll mention I think they might be getting lucky on both ends of the of the floor as far as three pointers going down. You know, uh, looking at looking their, at their opponent shot chart, thirty nine point six percent of opponent shot attempts are threes and yet they're shooting just 32.2 percent on those shots which is uh, uh, for Miami that's the second stingiest mark in the association so uh, you mentioned some of those guys I would say Myers Leonard's another one that's been lighting it up from downtown you know they're they're right around as far as uh, offensive and defensive rating they're 12th in offense 10th in defense and uh, maybe they're a little bit more closer to uh, to average on both ends when you factor in that they've been a little bit fortunate. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the clutch stats as well. Um, just based on NBA stats, uh, NBA.com, they've played in uh, six clutch, uh, six games that involve clutch moments, and they have a net rating of uh, plus 24. So I think in the clutch, they're bound for some regression. Like you said, three-point shooting on both ends. They're bound for uh, some regression, but I think they can improve on the turnovers. They're actually um, 
very low on defense in forcing turnovers. So I think on both ends they can improve uh, from a turnover perspective. Uh, but their depth is just crazy, and it seems like every single night, you know, one night you have Duncan Robinson hitting nine threes. The next night, Tyler Hero uh, hitting the game-clinching shot, 27 points. Jimmy Butler is just named Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Bam Adebayo is putting up 14 points a game. It's like every single night they're getting great play from different guys stepping up in big moments. Kendrick Nunn in the Rookie of the Year race. Um, and, and guys like Leonard and Olenek have filled out really good for them. And you saw uh, a guy like Goran Dragic, too, that if you want to play a more traditional uh, point guard pick-and-roll type of offense, he's a guy that can do that for you in spot minutes. So I really like where they're at right now. I really like their roster. Um, I think they're probably more likely than not looking to make one more trade if they can. Um but you really shouldn't be in, you know, such a panic at seventeen and six to uh, to change up the roster with such a move like that. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, they're they're at a point right now where uh, they're they're good enough to probably get a potentially home court advantage in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, although that is still up for grabs. Uh, and and you know, I, I think the fact that they they made the move for Butler. Butler is what thirty years old. He's he's uh, as good as he's going to be right now, and he's only going to get worse from here. So it wouldn't shock me if uh, if Miami is probably the the number one team buying at the deadline. And obviously, there's been there's been a lot of talk of guys like uh, Danilo Gallinari and and Chris Paul uh, in particular as uh, as potential candidates. Yeah, and if they're playing a guy like Myers Leonard, uh, basically the role that he's playing for them. Um, obviously, Kevin Love would be an upgrade. Blake Griffin, if the Pistons want to sell on Blake Griffin, they've been playing better as of late, but if they end up wanting to sell on Blake, they can always do that. And like you said, Gallo could be a guy in the wing who could fill out uh, you know, a similar role to uh, Myers Leonard. Obviously, he can do a lot more things on offense. Um, but they have some options for sure. I would be surprised if they went the Chris Paul route, um, given that They've been really good with Butler kind of being the guy uh, initiating on offense. I'm not sure if they would throw another primary ball handler into the equation, but you know, toward the uh, toward the deadline, we'll see. Anything goes. You know, Pat Riley's getting up there. Um, the city is ready for a winner. I can tell you that. And uh, there's a, there's certainly a lot of excitement down here uh, around the team. So I would assume that they'll probably buy at the deadline, uh, but anything can change. Yeah, Blake Griffin is a fascinating one for me because, yeah, he's he's good enough on both ends of the floor. And with his uh, improvement in his three-point game the last couple of years, I think he's a good fit with Bam. And I wanted to get a little more into, into Bam out of bio because uh, he has been excellent, as you mentioned, playing a little bit more from the high post. He's got a little bit more versatility than I think the average uh, fan realizes. Uh, he, can, he can be the lob threat in the pick and roll, but he also uh, is – has become a really good passer, um, and he can even handle it a little bit as well, and, and obviously the defense is, is there. But uh, I didn't ask you beforehand to, to rank him in terms of centers, but how do you feel he is in, in terms of the upper echelon of, of five men in the league? I'm a little more skeptical on Bam than, um, than most people, I would say. Okay. Um, but his, his game has improved quite a bit since last year, and he's getting more minutes. Um, he's been able to showcase that part of his game. I love him as a passer, um, and I love him. You know, you see him on the fast break, being able to handle the ball. Um, he's got incredible skills on offense. I think defensively, one of the reasons they may be playing two bigs is to sort of hide his weaknesses as a rim protector, shot blocker at the rim. Uh, but that's worked for them so far. I mean, they're top ten right now in uh, in opponent points in the paint. They've really done a good job at uh, preventing guys getting into the paint and scoring. And uh, they're also top 10 in defensive rebound percentage. So even though he might be, in my opinion, uh, a weaker defender at the rim, given um, he's not the tallest guy in the world either, uh, playing another big with him and a guy who can space, space the floor on offense has really helped their defense quite a bit. Yeah, that's interesting because, yes, obviously – 
they have been playing the two bigs, and but Myers Leonard almost acts more like a, a wing, especially offensively. But defensively, it's not as if Leonard is is known much as a, as a rim protector either. So yeah, it is it is interesting to me to think about. Okay, so why is why is Miami doing pretty well defensively when Bam is out there on the floor? Uh, he he certainly has great switch ability. He's such a good fluid athlete. Um, you know, I think he would he would thrive in a system similar to like what the Warriors have done the past couple of years. Uh, but you're right that uh, perhaps that uh, that that too big system is is uh, is helping him a little bit. And you mentioned the the turnover issues that the team is having. He's also been a big part of that. And yeah, even though he's he's made some progress as a passer, uh, he he is turning the ball over quite a bit. At the last I saw, he was around uh, 2.8 turnovers a game. Yeah, but he's also uh, he's getting to the line quite a bit too. They're they're giving him a lot of freedom um, on offense. Uh, but you know, defensively, that's the thing with centers, right? If you're a great switching center, you tend to be a little bit lighter in the shorts. And although there's not as many back down. Uh, fives nowadays, you do get, you know, tend to get overpowered in the paint. So uh, there's been a lot of instances. I was watching uh, a game a few weeks back where they were playing uh, Memphis, and Valanciunas had the ball in the post, and they had Myers Leonard uh, as the guy guarding him there, a little more stout, able to hold up in the post. Um, so that's probably his weakness at this point defensively, uh, but it may not necessarily be a weakness if you want to switch one through five. You know, that's a huge advantage that he has. He's, he's one of the three best, I would say, uh, switching bigs in the league. It's just that, you know, they're able to play so versatile on defense and, and play so many different types of schemes and systems uh, that while he has a ton of uh, advantages in one area, he does have some disadvantages in, in others. But they're able to make up for it. Yeah, so how have you felt about uh, the rookie Tyler Hero? He had... Uh... He had a huge performance in their recent overtime win against Chicago, where I believe he hit four threes in the uh, in the overtime session. A lot, a lot of very clutch baskets, deep threes. He he seems to have a little bit of uh, an off the bounce game as well. Yeah, he's been really surprising, right? Because you're never expecting a rookie, especially a guy taken toward the end of the lottery, to uh, not only play a lot but but contribute to winning basketball. And he's played quite a bit. I mean, 29 minutes a game. He's played in every game that they've played, putting up 15 points uh, a game efficiently, getting up six three-point attempts a game, 39%. Um, he's not getting to the line too much. Uh, a lot of his game is, uh, you know, catch and shoot. But, uh, no, he's, he's been great. I mean, two assists a game. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's bigger than most people think. He's a good athlete. Um, obviously, it's a good find from a draft perspective, but to have a guy um, that you can draft like that, that can instantly come in and contribute um, to your team winning, I mean, that's huge. That is huge because, I mean, there's tons of teams in the league, even the Pistons, the, I can go on and on, um, that would love to have a guy like that, a floor-spacing 6'5", 6'6", wing, who doesn't get killed on defense. Yeah, and you mentioned the depth of this team, and Pat Riley and this front office deserves a lot of credit, not only for for drafting Tyler Hero, but for bringing in guys like Kendrick Nunn, who was a G-leaguer last year, and Duncan Robinson, who no one really really looked at as much of an asset, and and both of those guys are, are contributing on this roster as well. Yeah, and getting back to the trade thing, um, it's weird that we're talking about how good their depth is, and then know they might include all these guys in a trade but they're very low on draft capital um so you know potentially moving hero or none or robinson and they do have a lot of filler salary i think that's the difference between them and a team like boston is that they have uh, a few guys who are making between 10 and 20 million so if you're able to package a couple of those guys and maybe one to two more guys who are on rookie deals um you could potentially go out and try to get a big fish um, a couple of those guys that we've mentioned who are on near max salaries uh, that could help you win now maybe put you in the Eastern Conference Finals tier yeah I was uh, I was listening to a recent uh, locked on podcast with uh, Nate Duncan and John Hollinger and they both mentioned that uh, throwing none in a trade right now might be best because 
you know, he averaged about 20 points a game in, the, in his first month this season. And his value might never be, uh, you know, higher than it is at this very moment. Yeah, I agree with that. Since I'm uh, seeing some, some Deion Waiters vibes from, uh, from Kendrick Nunn. But, yeah, I mean, him, Duncan Robinson uh, would be, I mean, he's shown that he could be a contributor on the Heat right now. Why wouldn't he be a contributor on, you know, a team like Denver or a team like Phoenix? Someone, uh, someone who might be willing to uh, take him, even if you have to get a third team involved. They have enough young guys, enough interesting young guys, uh, that a lot of teams would be interested in. Now, how much, uh, how much credit do you think Eric Spolster should be given for for how well this team is performing, and, and is he in, you know, your your top three or five in terms of the the coach of the year discussion? Yeah, he has to be. Um, and they're sitting third right now, right there. I think there's a couple games of separation between uh, the Sixers and the Raptors, so it's kind of a whole hodgepodge of teams, uh, two to five right now. I've always been high on Spolster. I've always loved him as a coach. I think one thing he isn't getting enough credit for is the way that he's managed the personalities of the roster. Um, the whole Dion Waiter situation hasn't been good, but he's been able to have a guy like Dragic, who's been a former All-Star, who started virtually every game that he's played uh, in Miami up to this year. He's been able to have him come off the bench and still contribute to winning basketball. He's, uh, he's been able to have a guy like Myers Leonard, who hasn't traditionally started in the past. He's been able to push him into a spot starting role, and he's been able to contribute. He's had these young guys like Robinson, Nunn, Hero. He's empowered them uh, to play really well in their minutes. And we know Jimmy Butler is a tough personality, um, but he's been able to deal with him uh, as a personality on the floor as well. So dealing with the personalities and um, concocting you know, a, an emotional winning fo- uh, formula on the floor. Um, I think he's gotten a ton of credit for, and I think the Heat as an organization, the whole Heat culture thing is very, very real. Um, so I think as an organization, they've done an awesome job um, keeping everyone propped up, uh, contributing to uh, team winning. I completely agree. Was Was there anything else you wanted to uh, discuss with the Heat before we move on to your uh, you know, kind of disappointing surprise team in the Utah Jazz? No, man, we'll, uh, we'll see. You know, the trade deadline will be here uh, a lot quicker than we think. Um, and there's already some momentum on Kevin Love and, and, and some guys like that. So we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep some tabs out on the heat to see uh, what rumors start coming out of Miami as to who they're interested in. Yeah, I'm definitely more intrigued by a potential Eastern Conference playoff uh first round with you know five or six teams looking looking pretty good when initially it looked like maybe there's only going to be two or three um but uh yeah let's move on now the the uh, surprising sort of in, in a disappointing manner team you ended up picking in the western conference was the utah jazz the jazz sitting at 13 and 11 overall 23rd in offensive rating 11th in defensive rating and uh on Monday night, lost a pretty pretty bad game at home to Oklahoma City, 104 to 90. And uh, I guess James, the first question I'm going to ask you is: it is it time to panic in Salt Lake City? That's a great question, and uh, I think the answer to that question lies in: are there serious issues with Mike Conley? Um, is he is he not the guy that we've thought that he's been before? Is he starting to take a serious downturn in his career? I think that's a that's the one question you want to ask if you're in Utah because if that's the case, um, you do have to panic because you traded away a lot to get him. You don't have a lot of flexibility going forward to bring in another big contributor. Um, so yeah, unless he improves his play. I think uh, I think there is there is room to panic for Utah. Yeah, it's been it's been a, a disappointing season for for Mike Conley, and you know he's he shot the three ball okay, shooting around thirty seven percent, but he's shooting thirty seven percent from two point range. And one of the big things I've noticed is that that right handed that off hand floater that he hit pretty consistently his whole career in Memphis is just not falling now. And then the other thing that, that has been a tough adjustment for him is playing in the pick and roll with Rudy Gobert. You know, he's he's played his entire career with Marc Gasol, who's more of a pick and pop guy. 
uh, you know, will even when he's rolling, he'll roll short and catch that ball at the 10 foot to 15 foot range, and he could do something with it. Whereas Gobert, you need to get him the ball right at the rim, and if you get him the ball at the free throw line, he uh, he doesn't really have uh, anything to do. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the the differences between uh, Gasol and Gobert. It's, it's interesting that you brought that up um, because a lot of his issues, like you said, have been scoring in the paint or at the rim, and maybe he is a little bit older now, so creating separation off the dribble, uh, getting by guys. He's not as springy as he once was, but. Um, you know, when you have traditionally a pick-and-pop big like Gasol, um, it doesn't allow the opposing big to drop into the paint, right? Um, but now when Gobert's more of a roller, uh, you are always going to have the lob threat there, but you're always going to have a big uh, who's going to be contesting at the rim if he needs to as well. So maybe he just needs some more time uh, to get used to uh, playing with more of a rolling big, but like you said, he's shooting 37% from three. Um, he's been turning the ball over. Just looking at some of their year-over-year stats, uh, they've regressed both on offense and defense. You know, they've never been an offensive juggernaut, uh, but it's always been their elite defense that has, uh, that has vaulted them toward the top of the West the last few years. Um, you know, last year they were second in defensive rating. This year, right now, they're sitting at 11th. Last year, they were about league average 14th offensive rating. This year, they're 24th. Um, but the biggest thing that stood out to me that I didn't even notice was last year they were fourth in assist percentage and uh, Ricky Rubio playing point guard for them. And this year they're 24th in assist percentage. Now, you make the Rubio move because you don't want Donovan Mitchell to be your only scorer there out on the floor. But uh, that's why you bring in a guy like Mike Conley of two guys that can play off, uh, you know, create off the dribble, who can shoot create their own shot, but um, a lot of what Rubio did for them last year in terms of creating and making smart basketball decisions, not turning the ball over, um, it it seemed to kind of bite them now. Maybe they weren't necessarily uh, ready for that change of of, uh, type of play on offense. Yeah, it's it's interesting to note that perhaps, you know, I, I was one that believed that Conley was a significant upgrade over Rubio. And maybe that's just simply not the case. You know, Rubio is such a good passer, as you mentioned, and he was a guy that definitely knew how to utilize the lob threat of Gobert, not only to get him those opportunities at the rim, but to use that to, to pass fake that lob and then to get corner shooters open. Uh, he, he did so many good things for this basketball team. And I, I watched this year's group, and basically everybody that's running pick and roll with Gobert, nobody is just getting downhill and making that center make a decision. They're always snaking the pick and roll, getting into the mid-range. It's Joe Ingles crossing over about four or five times. And, you know, they're just not utilizing that uh, that that roll gravity that Gobert has. Yeah, and, um, you know, you just mentioned Ingles. He's, he's been playing uh, more of a bench role, but it's been... You know, his worst shooting season of his career. Like we said, Conley's been struggling massively at the rim. And I think Gobert, whether it be physical decline or maybe he's just kind of checked out um, in, in the regular season, not being the same type of player, but it's been the lowest block percentage, uh, probably the worst rim protecting season of his career thus far. Um, and then if you look, you know, you look on defense, as a, as a defense crew, Forcing turnovers, uh, right now they're 26th in the league in turnover percentage. On offense, they're 28th in the league, so they're turning the ball over on offense. They're not forcing any turnovers on defense, and they're not crashing the offensive glass either. Right now they're 29th in the league in offensive rebound percentage. So um, there's a lot of things to be worried about with this team. Now, a bright spot is how well Bogdanovich has played for them. He's solid on defense, and he's shooting the heck out of the ball. Um, so that's definitely a bright spot, but Jeff Green hasn't been good. Boudier's been, ugh, you know, um, their depth is a question given that, you know, they traded probably two depth pieces to get Mike Conley, uh, in that trade with the Grizzlies. So yeah, I would be panicked because of how deep the West appears to be. And, uh, given that their play right now suggests they're probably not going to get, um, home court advantage in the first round. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's been really disappointing. You know, I, I thought their offense was going to be borderline top 10 just because you look at the likes of, of Mitchell and Conley and Bogdanovich. Those guys, for their career, have been solid offensive players, and, and they have they had the shooters in, in Ingles and O'Neal surrounding them and, and Gobert with the lob threat. But obviously, yeah, the, the poor play from Conley, the poor play from Ingles, um, and, and, yeah, getting uh, – the likes of, of Moutier not shooting the ball well. Yeah, the, the offense has just been really brutal to watch. And the other thing with Ingles that's that's interesting to me is uh, he, he's a guy that as he ages, I think he should probably be off the, you know, playing off the ball more. But he's still on the ball quite a bit, still running a lot of pick and rolls for this team. And when they've got two or three guys that are better than him at that, I don't understand why he still gets as much time on the ball as he does. Yeah, I'm not sure. That might be, um, you know, between a coach and player, that might be just sort of what they're doing. Snyder has always been about, uh, you know, the getting everybody getting the touches of the ball and, and keeping it a sort of uh, egalitarian sort of style of offense. Yeah, and I remember before the season started, I'm, I'm with you, man, I mean, looking at how well they played last year, and essentially it was a, we're trading away Grace Snell, who didn't really play much for us last year, and we're trading away Jay Crowder, who uh, shot the ball very poorly, to get Mike Conley. And, you know, it's just a Mike Conley for Ricky Rubio swap, and seemingly Mike Conley's going to solve a lot of the issues that we felt we had with Rubio. I think they under um, undervalued a lot of the things that Rubio did well for him, but... You know, David Locke was on the Dunkdown podcast. Uh, shout out to the Dunkdown podcast, but he was on there and, and he asked Nate Duncan a question. You know, he said if if um, Donovan Mitchell is running pick and roll with Rudy Gobert, and you have Joe Ingles in one corner, and you have uh, Bogdanovich in the other corner, and you have Mike Conley spotted up, ready to you know catch and shoot or attack off the dribble, who do you leave? You know, with Rudy Gobert, one of the best rim rollers in the league rolling to the rim, who do you leave? How do you defend that? And that was a very legitimate question because, uh, you know, at that time, Ingles and Bogdanovich and Mike Conley, all near 40% catch-and-shoot guys, be very hard to defend that. It's just that, that you know, Conley hasn't been an offensive player. Ingles isn't shooting the ball well. I don't think Gobert's been as good. And, uh, you know, Mitchell's been fine. You look year over year, he's, he's been fine. He's shooting the ball fine, uh, putting up about the same stats as he did last year. It's just not working for them. It's just not working like we expected. Yeah, and again, that that uh, theory that David Locke was proposing, I think a lot of that is, okay, this, uh, this pick and roll with Mitchell and Gobert is going to attack the rim and, and make defenses help. And that just hasn't really been the case. That's been a big issue that I've had with, with Mitchell is his, you know, he's, he shot the ball, the ball reasonably well from the mid-range, He's shooting 51% from long mid-range, which is excellent. But it also doesn't uh, it doesn't manipulate the defense at all. It's a lot of just I'm going to get my own shot. It's not it's not helping any of his teammates. And that's something that I think young players have to figure out a little bit. Is sure you can get to this shot and you can get it off whenever you want. But perhaps getting into the teeth of the defense, making the defense work a little bit, and, and getting your teammates better shots is, is a way to help the offense as opposed to just always looking for your own. Yeah, and it's funny if you think about it that way because, you know, driving and kicking, right, forcing help to come and kicking out to those open shooters actually over the course of the game makes your job easier because, you know, the more successful you are kicking the ball out to open guys, getting it into cutters the less that you know they're going to lead those guys and the more open the floor is going to be for you. So he's always had a little bit more tunnel vision than people want to talk about. Um, and he hasn't really improved um, as a passer since his rookie year, given how much he handles the ball. Um, but you know, the thought was if he lightens his load on offense by bringing in a guy like Mike Conley, Maybe he'll become a better distributor. Maybe he'll become a better uh, catch-and-shoot guy. Maybe he'll just become more efficient on offense. But given Conley's struggles, it seems like he's reverted back to being the same guy that he's been throughout the course of his career. 
you you briefly mentioned Rudy Gobert and you know his uh, his struggles a little bit defensively, and this whole team has slipped defensively. I expected it a little bit. You know, you go from from Derek Favors to Bogdanovich. That's a downgrade defensively, uh, and uh, you know that also even just backup center Favors did a great job when Rudy Gobert was off the floor to to maintain solid defense. But uh, yeah, the the issue with with Gobert not blocking as many shots. The, the opponents are shooting better at the rim this year than they have in in seasons past against him. He is still limiting opponents' attempts, so he, he's uh, you know opponents are shooting 3.9 less attempts at the rim while Gobert is on the floor. But that's even down a little bit from uh, from previous seasons. So yeah, to you is it just a little bit of uh, you know wear and tear from Gobert, or uh, is it something more significant? A little bit of uh, you know losing a little bit of athleticism. Yeah, I mean he's 27. So he's, he's getting up there in age. He could be losing some athleticism. But to your point, you know, traditionally having a lot of success playing two bigs and then favors leaves, on the one hand, they don't really have a guy uh, that they can play at the four. And maybe that's what's causing them to have slipped a little bit on defense now is everyone was so used to playing with two traditional bigs. Um, you know, now they're playing with a traditional big and Joe Ingles at the four or Bogdanovich, or Jeff Green at the four, more wing types uh, playing that four spot. So that's a lot different for them on defense. And then, like you said as well, when Gobert wasn't on the floor last year, they could stick a guy like Derek Favors in there and give them really good minutes at backup center. Uh, you know, Now they have a guy like Ed Davis who's giving them 12 minutes a game. Um, just not a lot of great you know, Tony Bradley, not a lot of great backup center options for them as well. Um, you know, I, I know we just talked about the Heat, but I could see them as being a team who could look to maybe make a Kevin Love move to get, um, no, you know, not lose any shooting on offense, um, but to get another big body in there if they want to sort of play the same way that they did uh, last season. Yeah, and it's fascinating. You know, the last couple of years, uh, I think the Jazz looked at their sort of on-off court numbers and their lineups with Jay Crowder at the four, you know, playing a wing at that four spot were really effective, more effective than those two big lineups. But, uh, you know, that hasn't really translated this year. And with Gobert, you know, one thing I've noticed, uh, I watched a couple of games. I watched their game against uh, Toronto where Toronto just uh, blew them out of the building in the first half. And, you know, Mark Gasol has been a 40% three-point shooter this season and and he hit three threes in the first quarter, and Gobert was just nowhere to be found. He was so committed to, to staying in the paint. It's like, well, you're, you're conceding what is extremely efficient shots here. Yeah, that's, that's always been the, you know, the downfall with, with having a big that drops, especially like Gobert who's not super mobile on the perimeter, is that one way to take him out of the game is, you know, we're going to stick our shooting five, on the perimeter, and if Gobert doesn't want to guard him, sure, you can stick a wing out there, but then who is Gobert going to guard? Um, and, yeah, I mean, teams have been doing that for a few years now, trying to just get Gobert out of the paint, not even necessarily to use that stretch big as an offensive weapon, but something to just get Gobert out of the paint so you can open up more driving lanes. But, you know, when you play with two traditional bigs like that, even if you suck Gobert out of the paint a little bit, you still have a big that can drop and put his hands up at the rim. Now it's, you know, it's sort of like every man for themselves. Everyone's got a guard in the perimeter, and um, that's sort of forcing Gobert to stay in the paint even more than he traditionally has in the past. And and to your point there, you know, it's going to let guys like Marcus Gasol just rain from three. It's going to be really hard for them to guard. Yeah, so how much how much do you blame Quinn Snyder for for this uh, for this team struggle in the early going? Of course, the last couple of years it's been a bit of a trend that they struggle the first half of the year and then they go on a crazy run. Maybe because the the schedule gets a little bit easier for the Jazz in the second half of the season. But you know, we've talked about the egalitarian offensive system, and perhaps that system works a little bit better when you have less offensive talent and it gets more out of out of lesser guys, but now that they have the talent in there, uh, maybe they just need to make it a little bit more simple and just give the best players the rock. Yeah, you know, over the course of time, if things don't change, it really is up to the coach, especially when you bring in a guy like Mike Conley, 
to figure out an offensive system that works. And, uh, you know, they've turned the ball over, and they're not, uh, they're not assisting on any of their buckets. So if he wants to end up turning it into a, you know, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Mike Conley, just pick and roll with Gobert and have the other two guys stand in the corner, if that's going to be the best way to play offense, then, then so be it. But, you know, do you have to get other guys involved more? Um, do you have to get more guys touches? You know, should, should you stagger Conley and Mitchell even more? Should you play them more? You know, I don't really know the answers to those questions. I know traditionally they've they've been one of the most pick and roll heavy teams in the league, uh, and I think that to your point earlier, you know, when you have less offensive talent, less guys who can really create in isolation, you have to sort of jimmy rig um, offensive results, and they would do that out of uh, playing more pick and roll than most teams. And and there's been sort of such a change to their offense uh, as, as opposed to years back that um, it's new to everyone, I'm sure, but they're going to have to figure it out soon or any sort of hope to have home court advantage in the first round is going to be gone, uh, you know, and then they're going to be playing a team like Houston or, um, shoot, I mean, even Dallas, and, um, and those teams will expose them a lot as well. Yeah, some of the some of the lineups that that Snyder has put out there have been real concerning to me. There, there's been a few games where I've noticed he's had lineups out there for extended periods of time with with no Mike Conley, no Donovan Mitchell, no Bogdanovich, and no Gobert. And it's like, how are how are lineups with that are featuring, you know, Tony Bradley or Ed Davis and Moutier and Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal? You know, and George Niang, how are those lineups, how are you expecting those lineups to be effective offensively? Yeah, I mean, you can take the viewpoint that you want all of your guys, you want your guys out there as much as possible as a unit, um, as much as possible, you know, to to maximize their effectiveness. And then in the time that they're not out there, you just hope to sort of preserve the lead. Or maybe they've, they've taken the viewpoint, like I'm a Spurs guy, we've been in the playoffs consecutive years now we know we have a good team we're not panicking let's try out these different lineups let's try to see who can legitimately slot in as a rotation guy by the time the playoffs come around and when that time comes you know maybe we'll change up the way that uh, our rotations are structured yeah it's uh they they can't do much more experimenting because as you said they're they're falling further and further down the uh, the western conference standings and and uh you know, yeah. If you're if you're the five seed or lower, you're expected to win three road series to get to the NBA Finals. That's a tough task for just about anybody. The other thing I, I, I wanted to briefly discuss is, you know, we we talk about the offensive and defensive end as if they're, you know, unrelated to each other. But I've noticed a lot of times in these games where they're stagnant offenses, they're they're bad shot selection, uh, and and these droughts that they go on offensively really feeds into their struggles on the other end because teams are getting out in transition and, and hurting them. Yeah, I mean, when you're a better offense, the other team's got to take the ball out of the basket and allows you to go back and get set on defense. And, and, you know, we've seen in years past when they have a set defense and they have a really good defensive structure, they've been one of the best defenses in the league, historically good um, at that. So given their lack, uh, you know, their, their offensive struggles, um, they're going to be get beat more in the fast break uh, and, and I think that's why their their defense you know has has fallen out of the top 10 very surprisingly I mean that's what they've relied on uh, in years past to get them to be a 50 win team uh, and, and without that and a struggling offense I mean like you said they go hand in hand but uh, something has to change quickly I mean whether it's an effort uh, level or whether it's just do they have to go back to playing two bigs? Do they have to change up the way their rotations are structured to improve their defense? But they have to do something because you know we're over a quarter way through the season now, and um, if they continue on this trajectory, they'll be a bottom four seed, and they're going to have to play somebody like the Clippers or the Rockets, and that's not going to go very well for them in the first round. I mean, they don't really have the ability to go go back to the to the the two big formations, mainly because you know you look at. Off the bench, they've got Niang, who is more of just a, a guy that spaces the floor and plays like a wing. Um, but you can't really—I I doubt that lineups with 
Tony Bradley and Ed Davis are going to be successful, or even either of those guys with Gobert. There's just, uh, you know, Favors at least had, you know, has a post-up game, and he could hit a mid-range jumper, but, uh, you know, Bradley and Davis have much less than that. Yeah, I mean, are they going to be itching to make a trade to get a more reliable big? Because, like you said before, what Favors gave them, maybe they didn't have the most efficient offense when they played two bigs at the same time, but at least they had a quality backup center. Um, so do they feel that Ed Davis is that guy? And if not, does it make sense to try to go out and to get a second big that maybe you can play with Gobert, uh, but can at least give you minutes um, when Gobert is not on the floor, when he gets in foul trouble, when the playoffs come around, so be it. Yeah, it'll it'll be a tough it'll be a tough decision to make because uh, as far as the salaries go, uh, I suppose they have Dante Exum that uh, that they could throw in a trade, but I don't know how much he's valued as an asset from other teams. But there's there's a limited amount of resources that the Jazz have to to make trades. Of course, they they traded multiple draft picks to to acquire Mike Conley. So yeah, it's a tough situation. It's one of those things where. I think they're just going to probably have to figure this thing out, and, and hopefully this gets turned around, and hopefully the guys like Conley and, and Ingles just, just start playing better. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. I mean, they're 4-6 and six in their last 10, but it wouldn't shock me at all to see them you know, have a 15-game a streak of going 11-4, you 12-3, know, and, and uh, you know, maybe the Mavericks fall out of the top four, maybe the Nuggets' struggles continue. And Utah's back into the top four. You know that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me at all. It's just a matter of you would think that you know with Conley being such a high IQ guy with Ingles, like the whole team, such high IQ guys, guys who have been in big games before, guys who have been through the ringer a bit. You'd think that they would have figured it out by now, but they haven't. So maybe some of that blame should go more so back on to uh, Quinn Snyder in the front office. Yeah, some of the some of their recent performances have been certainly uh, very troubling. You know, their their recent loss at home to the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers were just uh, joking around at times. I saw LeBron James do a, a left-handed floater from about 15 feet. You know, when he's doing that, he he realizes the game is uh, is in hand. Yeah, man. You, <laughs> I mean, the Lakers are a separate conversation, but uh, yeah, they they they've really struggled, and for a lot of people. They were the smart pick, the sexy pick, uh, to come out of the West and, and win the NBA title potentially. Um, and it, it's just gone really, really wrong for them. And, and you had mentioned it earlier, their lack of flexibility. They're already out of two first-round picks that they traded to Memphis. Salary-wise, they spent the rest of their big money to get Bogdanovich, which I thought was a good signing. If it doesn't work out now, do you trade Ingles and Exum and another pick, if so, to get who? And then at that point, you're depleting your depth. It's a last-ditch resort to try to improve your situation this year. And then what happens next year? What happens when Mitchell's extension um, you know, comes up? So this is a huge year for them. That's why they went all in, because they saw a lot of these things were on the horizon, and um, they got to drastically improve here if they want any shot at the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be really disappointing for for Jazz fans looking at Dante Exum too because you know they signed him to a what was it, I think a three year, thirty three million dollar deal a couple of seasons ago and and if he was going to make good on that contract you'd be starting to see some things and as you stated earlier Moutier has been kind of blind yet he's getting the majority of the minutes over Exum. Yeah, that's the most disappointing thing, man. Because even before they made the Conley trade, you know they brought in Rubio and. And that was a smart pickup because he was a starting point guard and, you know, he wasn't a bad player by any means. But Exum had gone through the injuries um, and they wanted him to kind of come out on the other side to be that secondary guy next to Mitchell, to be the, the other ball handler, the other guy who could create his own shot. And, you know, the writing on the wall was there that he wasn't going to be that guy when they went out and they traded for Mike Conley. And now it's really troubling that they had to bring in Emmanuel Moutier on a minimum deal, and he's the guy who's getting more minutes and more time than, than Exum. So, you know, even moving him to somebody, you would probably have to attach an asset, uh, probably, you know, I'll be the second-round pick or something, 
to get off of that contract because I don't know any team in the league who would be itching to get him. Right. Yeah. It's uh, he's been disappointing this team in general. Yeah. I I had super high expectations for this group. I had them outside of uh, you know behind the Clippers and Lakers as as one of the best teams in the West, one of the top three. And and right now it looks like uh, they may struggle to to even get out of the first round. Yeah, I thought. Shoot, I mean, I thought they were going to be better than the Lakers. I, I thought they were going to finish uh, finish first in the West. And uh, yeah, that prediction's not looking too great right about now. <laughs> well, and you know the the Western Conference too. I guess they have the sixth seed pretty much uh, locked up because it looks like the the seven and eight seed and, and lower in the Western Conference isn't going to be that good, but. But even so, the sixth seed in the Western Conference, not going to get very far. Well, James, was there anything else about the uh, the Jazz that you want to discuss before we wrap up? No, I mean, they, they, the next 20 games or so before the trade deadline, like we had mentioned with Miami, Miami has a lot more flexibility, but um, we'll see if the Jazz make another panic trade. Um, they're, they're definitely a team to watch there as well. All right, this was uh, this was a lot of fun discussing uh, your two uh, surprise teams. James, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time. Garrett, thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there. Uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g bouguet at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program. And uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or the DMV number ninety-seven or house cleaning or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com Internet for details.